Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Locked Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, and typically I'm joined by Connor and Trevor, but today it's just me. Uh, it's a little bit of unique circumstances, situation, if you will. Um, basically, Trevor's out of town at the beach. He was going to be gone all week, and then Connor, who was doing Grip Lock with me this week, um, actually had to leave a day early to go down to, I believe, a wedding, and so uh, we weren't able to get this filmed yesterday. And so, um, because we had to get some other stuff taken care of with him going out of town a little bit earlier, but I didn't want to let USWDGC, US Women's Disc Golf Championship, go by without a preview show. So, put a poll out on Twitter. I was like, "Hey, here's the deal: uh, Would you rather us let it go by without a preview show, which we don't really want to do, or have just me do the preview show?" Uh, and the, the votes came in. Just me doing the preview show won. So. Um, that's what we're here to do. Break this down, give you all the information that you need to know, uh, leading into the coverage that actually starts today, uh, of the U S women's disc golf championship. will be starting this afternoon. Uh, actually women will be teeing off in about three hours from me recording this. Um, the, uh, first card will go out then, and then lead card will go out about 4 PM Eastern time. Um, well, I think they technically about 4 30. I think coverage live coverage starts around 4 PM Eastern time. So, very exciting second major of the year, uh, and it seems like there's going to be a whole lot of coverage, so you're not going to want to miss this event at all. Um, we're going to be going over the courses that they're going to be playing here, the storylines, all of that good stuff, and you know, it's kind of reminiscent of our first ever tournament preview. I believe it was for Waco. Uh, it might have actually been like a follow-up where we were doing it after a few rounds, but it was just me there, um, and it was like a test show to see if y'all liked it. Y'all loved it, so we turned it into a, a full show. So, you know, it kind of takes me back. It takes me back to then. Uh, but, yeah, let's go ahead and get right into the U.S. women's preview here. They're going to be playing two courses, it seems like, Token Creek and Elver Park. Um, these courses both seem to be relatively similar in, in their style. Uh, Token Creek, we'll start with that one, seems to be a very park-style course. It's definitely more open, but it has very defined fairways. So there's still, there's still difficulty in, like, you have to keep the disc in the fairway. You do have to. There's several times where you do have to hit a gap. Um, accuracy is going to be important, but it's not like super tight wooded fairways where if you're a little off, you're going to be punished. Where it does seem like you're going to be drastically punished, though, is like actually off the fairway. It's reminiscent to me a little bit of like the woods in Waco um, minus the woods part, but where in Waco, the beast in Waco, if you're off the fairway uh, at Brazos East, then it, it looks like death off the fairway. And that's kind of what it reminds me on a lot of the holes. I, I was able to find a little bit of coverage um, from the Mad City Open. I watched some of that, and then I just looked through the pictures on U-Disc. So there could be some holes that I'm, I haven't fully seen that I'm not fully aware of. Uh, but just judging by looking at the pictures on U-Disc and that little bit of coverage I was able to watch, it seems like a very, very park-style course. It seems like kind of like my favorite style of course, but a very park-style course, but it does seem like off the fairways, there is a lot of trouble. So keeping the disc in the fairway is going to be... Um, going to be very important here. Uh, and in judging on the UDISC leaderboard, uh, because UDISC has like the USWDGC uh, course layout in there. And so I went there sort of by the last 30 days. You can kind of see some of the women who have been practicing out there have been putting in scores in UDISC. You also can see Colton Montgomery's played both of them. So I basically used some of their scores and his scores to judge kind of where I think uh, hot rounds are going to come in. Token Creek, it seems like it's going to be, I would imagine, assuming the weather and everything holds off, it's everything good, which actually, let's take a look at the weather here before we give up prediction. They're going to be in Madison, Wisconsin, 
Um, so we're going to take a look at the Madison, Wisconsin weather, and it's looking pretty gorgeous. Uh, looks like just partly cloudy and mid to upper 80s for the entire weekend. Again, it starts today on Thursday, goes straight through Sunday. And wind seems to be the windiest today, but doesn't seem like it's going to be a super big factor. Um, possibly when lead card tees off, it'll be around 15 mile an hour. So the gusts probably could get up there a little bit, but the rest of the, the, rest of the time they're going to be there. We're, we're talking sub 10 on our wind. So weather's looking great. So I'm thinking 8 to 10 under par at Token Creek will probably be uh, a decent score out there. And the layout, it looks like they're going to be going two rounds at Token and two rounds at Elver. So 8 to 10 under at Token, I believe, will be a pretty solid score. and Or not solid score. I believe that'll be about the hot score. Um, d- getting into double digits is definitely possible. You know, I think that plenty of the holes, especially for the top women in the field, are birdieable. There are some, you know, 200 some foot par three. Some of the par fours do only get to like the four or 500 range, but there are a few holes that definitely seem like the line's difficult and stuff like that to where I don't think we're going to see like a 14, 15 under type situation, but that is possible out there. Um, so I would say eight to 10 under par, probably about where that hot round's going to come in. Elver Park, on the other hand, seems to be very similar. Most of the course seems to be more park style, but there's definitely more woods and more trees in play. Um, again, this is going, I watched the, I went through the Jomez uh, practice round they put out. They, I only had the front nine out this morning. I don't know if the back nine is coming out pretty soon, but I was only able to watch the front nine of the course. But um, definitely could see some woods on U-Disc. It does look like it's more wooded than what that front nine was showing. So I'm assuming that some of those woods come into play on the back nine a little bit more. But regardless, the, the majority, like, seems to be a good mix so the majority of holes being played this weekend are going to be more of that park style course which if you don't know what i mean by park style course um essentially i mean like open grassy field with trees kind of in it if that makes sense so there are trees in play there are lines you have to hit it's not just a wide open hyzer fest but it's not woods to where like if you miss the line you're not immediately in like jail scrambling through a bunch of trees it's just like a field with trees in it that's kind of what i mean by park style course and that's what elver park seems to be but there is definitely a little bit more woods and plays but with that being said looking at the scores again it seems like the it seems like the scores are going to be pretty similar uh out there as well and another key factor so i think the hot round is probably going to come around eight to ten under par both courses so that means the winner for this event if i'm right and just blindly guessing on that um because i don't have like there hasn't been a previous pro tour there this year or anything like that a lot of the previous tournaments there seems to be a lot of courses in this area and a lot of different layouts at these courses so it's hard to find an exact like where this is definitely the exact same layout they're playing um so i'm just kind of looking at again the u-disc uh rounds that have been recorded and, and going off of that plus looking at the caddy book and stuff like that for this estimate but if my estimates are in the right ballpark we're probably going to see the winner uh, you know, I don't think someone's gonna be able to go 10 under every single round. So I would say the winner's probably going to come around 20 to 30 under par is what I would have to guess. Um, but it's definitely gonna be interesting. Today's round will obviously tell us a lot because if today's round, they go out and they only shoot like five under, it just means I would like the course just is not the same course I'm thinking. <laughs> well, I know it's the same course I'm thinking, but I'm again, judging this solely on U-Disc pictures and pars and what some of the women have recorded on UDISC over the last 30 days. So all of that could be very misleading, uh, as I'm sure you've, you've looked at your own UDISC leaderboards locally and been like, there's no way someone shot that. So uh, take that part with a grain of salt, because normally my predictions are based on 
you know, previous year scores, the changes to the course, all of that stuff. I don't have a lot of that data today. Um, I just couldn't find it. I tried. Um, so this is basically just my gut, but I think it'll probably be somewhere in that range. But another thing, as I was looking through these two courses, they reminded me kind of of like shorter versions of Waco and Jonesboro style courses. Waco definitely has a little bit more tight woods. Jonesboro is definitely longer. Uh, actually, well, both Waco and Jonesboro are both longer, but they they remind me of those style of courses. Like a lot of the holes, I was like, I could, if this hole was picked up and put onto Waco or Jonesboro, I would see it fitting. And so something to note of that is, A, the players that did well there at those two courses, but notably we're coming into a major. Um, and whenever you're coming into a major on the FPO side, you're thinking page cat because that's been, you know, long time reigning dominant players. Um, but one notable thing about it is that at Waco and at Jonesboro, Paige Pierce did not perform well. So that's something to kind of keep into account. Again, these courses are shorter versions of those, and they do seem in a lot of areas to be less punishing than Jonesboro or Waco, but they do seem to require a similar style of golf. So I think there's less opportunities for big mistakes, big numbers and stuff like that than there are at Jonesboro and Waco. But again, it requires the same style of golf. So not saying that I'm, I'm using that slightly in my predictions, but I'm not fully taking it into account for two reasons. One, obviously, they're not, it's not actually the course. Two, it's a major and it's Paige Pierce. Um, Paige and Paul are very similar that when the majors roll around, other than USDGC uh, and slash throw pink women's, because that course you can never predict, but the predictable majors, when they roll around, they're going to find a way to be in contention pretty much every single time. It's just like they have a different gene. They have a different gear that like when a major comes around, they like smell blood in the water almost, it seems. And they're ready to kind of kick it into that high gear and uh, put on a performance that a lot of the field can't match a lot of the time. So it'll be interesting to see if we see that out of Paige Pierce uh, in this event. So some storylines as we go in. First off, I, I was looking through the PDJ article kind of about this. And I thought that some of these stats are pretty cool. Uh, U.S. Women's obviously is w- one of the bigger women's events, women-only events. Obviously, there's like women's global event, but that is like happens all over the world. This is like just one specific location. Uh, and this year, it breaks another record. It seems like every year at this point, we're breaking records. So uh, record 320 women across 19 divisions this year. In 2022, there's 54. This is all from the PDGA. There's 54 more competitors than in 2021. Uh, and the field is over three times the size of 2016. And in 2009, there was only 48 total competitors. So pretty wild to see the growth of disc golf. I mean, we talk about the growth of disc golf in a lot of other areas. You know, the tournament purse is getting bigger. Uh, the fields, like competitiveness of the fields and stuff like that. But when you look at like an event like this, there's not many left out there where A, this shows obviously the direct growth of women's disc golf. But B, there's not a lot of events that are, are majors, and they're majors across so many divisions, right? Because right now, like the pro, like even at this point, AM and Junior Worlds are separated, but Pro Worlds is separated, Pro Masters Worlds, all of them are like slowly separating, which is a good sign of growth because all of them are becoming bigger and bigger to where it's harder to get a, a site that can hold as many players as would be necessary if you had, if you had Pro Worlds and AM Worlds at the same spot. I mean, that'd be the biggest disc golf event in, in the history. Like, it'd be probably thousands of people. You couldn't do it. Uh, it'd be very... You could find the right spot. Charlotte could probably do it, but it would be very hard to do, and it'd be a logistical nightmare to where, like, there's there's no real reason to do that. U.S. Women's, on the other hand, though, is, is one of the few events left that 
getting them all together, getting all the divisions together um, in one location is still possible. Uh, and it's also, I think it's a great like community type of event because it allows like, obviously if you're a junior or advanced woman, you're looking up to Paige Pierce, um, Katrina Allen, Evelina Solon, all these players and having the opportunity to come in. It's similar to, you know, DDO, which used to be the Glassblown Open, Ledgestone, those type of events where AMs are still a part of these events. And so being an advanced player, you can go to Ledgestone and see Ricky and Paul. You can go to, now it's DDO. You can go out to uh, that event in Emporia and see, you know, Kevin Jones and all these players. And watching that in person, um, it's a lot easier to make that trip happen when you're going there to play yourself, especially at a major like this. Uh, But the experience of being able to watch some of the best players in the world throw on similar courses to you in the same area as you and really see what they're able to do super eye-opening experience and i think it it really speaks to the growth of sport though 320 women across 19 divisions which is 54 more than last year and i think the big stat here because obviously you know the sports blew up since 2020 to now um but sometimes like if you take a bigger scope back, like the sport's been growing for a while, obviously. So three times the size of 2016, that's pretty massive. That's pretty wild. So that means 2016, there's what, like a hundred, hundred women, essentially 105 or so. Uh, and now we're at 320 across all the divisions. So pretty, pretty big, pretty big growth that we've seen there. Um, one thing that I will say before we get into some of the like player storylines is this event is always curious to me because it's weird, and some of this is because there's been issues previously. Uh, Paige Pierce, I believe it was last year. It might be two years ago now, um, but previously she's been very vocal about like issues you know, with courses and stuff like that. Like They played courses that had like crisscrossing fairways and blah, blah, blah. That she, she was very vocal against this event previously. Um, not this event, but against some of the things that she would call the PDGA out, saying, you know, at times, she said had said that she felt like they just didn't care about this event as much as they, they cared about other events. Um, no complaints that I have heard going into this year. I think this year, everything's setting up to be a great event. Uh, but what it's done in my head is it's kind of tainted the view of USWDGC slightly as a tournament when I know Throw Pink Women's happens. Um, mainly because USDGC, you know, the men's counterpart to this, or not men's, the mixed pro-open counterpart to this, the USW or USDGC has a FPO tournament that runs at the same time, Throw Pink Women's, and it feels like when Missy Gannon won it last year, it felt like she won a major to me. Uh, and I think it's just the prestige of the course. It's happening at one of the most prestigious majors that, that happens in disc golf. Um, and so it does still feel weird knowing like US Women's is happening right now. Uh, obviously, it's a major. We're going to talk about it, you know, cover it, all of that. Come October, I'm going to feel like U.S. Women's is about to happen when Throw Pink Women's goes down. So I'm curious to see kind of how the two continue to coexist because the A tier, which is Throw Pink Women's, still draws just as competitive a field because of the course and because of the purse. Um, And so it's it's definitely interesting to see what the growth looks like alongside these two. I would assume that a big thing here, at least in my opinion, something that should be factored in is like Throw Pink Women's. USDGC, obviously one of the future concerns with USDGC is Innova's uh, ownership of it. I think USDGC is literally trademarked by US Disc Golf, which uh, is like 
I think, I believe is a part of uh, Disc Golf United, which is Innova East. So you got to go through a long snake there. But Innova has always ran United States Disc Golf Championship, and it's a PGA major to the point that, like, a lot of times USDGC doesn't even use the current PDGA rules. They're, they're typically an X major, meaning like the ratings and stuff don't count because they use stroke and distance and they do stuff like that. Um, and I think throw pink women's would start to fall into that same slot. So as the PDGA, you know, realistically the PDGA is in a weird spot because they don't have full control. Like they do at pro world, like they do at USWDGC, like they do at some of these other, you know, like European Open, Champions Cup, the PDGA has full control over how those are run and they can have as much or as little say in that as they choose. USDGC is slightly different because at the end of the day, like it seems like Innova is the one making a lot of the decisions. Granted, to this point, Innova has made a lot of great decisions, I think, with USDGC, but they've also made some that are questionable from the lens of the PDGA. And so I think that the PDGA, it's a weird thing. Of They have U.S. women's, USWDGC. Obviously, a logical choice would be putting USWDGC the weekend of USDGC. That's a very logical choice. Have them both go down and just instead of it being two separate events, it's just United States Disc Golf Championship, one big event. Negatives to that, A, you lose what we just talked about. You know, 320 women across 19 divisions. USDGC is strictly a pro division, strictly a pro event, so it would just be FPO and MPO. You would lose that camaraderie camaraderie but b well i think because eventually this event will get big enough that you're not gonna be able to have that camaraderie that community anyways you're not gonna be able to have 19 divisions in one one location like we talked about with you know pro worlds and stuff like that having to be split and am and junior worlds even having to be split that will eventually happen at uswdgc so i don't think that alone is a reason enough not to but i do think the fact that right now the pdj has a grasp on this major um, and going to throw pink women's and saying, hey, you know what? Throw pink women's, we're going to turn into USWDGC, even though the, as a viewer, as a fan, that feels natural, that feels right. In a lot of ways, I think the PDJ would be giving up a lot of control and a lot of, uh, uh, well, I guess a control, is, it sounds like a negative word, but in this case, it's a positive word. Um, they'd be giving up a lot of their control over US women's to Innova, but it'd still be a PDJ major. So it would put them in a very similar boat if they were to give up U.S. women's to throw pink women's. So it's definitely an interesting situation, something that I think will continue to be a talking point for the years to come and something that we'll continue to keep an eye on. But it is a weird one because the existence of both tournaments, last year at least, and some of the previous years, it might just be because I'm a simp for USDGC. But um, actually, it's probably definitely what it is because I know some, especially some of you new fans, really don't like USDGC, and I fully understand that. Um, but someone who's been in the sport for, you know, seven, eight years now, however long it's been, and has been a diehard fan of professional disc golf, USDGC holds a special place to me. And uh, so when I see Throw Pink Women's go down, that feels like the major. Um, and so it's like right now, USWDGC feels like the major because we're here. It's time for it. You know, it literally starts in a few hours. But... Um, when time rolls around and October gets here, throw pink women is going to feel like the major, if that makes any sense. Like when, when I'm, when it's December, November, we're in the off season, I'm going to have to remind myself of us women's being the major and not throw pink women's. If that makes any sense, it probably does. It might not resonate when I'm here by myself, just talking into a camera. I can't tell if my points make any sense at all. You know, half the time I can't tell anyways, but at least I have Trevor and Connor to be like, Oh no, that makes perfect sense. Now I'm just rambling to a camera. So, Hopefully you understand what I'm saying there. I definitely think it's going to be an interesting one, um, an interesting 
thing that's going to continue to develop as a storyline here. But uh, on the player side, one very big note um, is Christian Tatar is officially not going to be in attendance this year. When we talked about it on Monday, it was still somewhat up in the air. Uh, her partner, Silver, uh, came down with COVID. Um, I haven't heard an update as to if Kristen actually ever tested positive, but she's doing the smart thing and basically like, I'm with Silver. So like if he has it, it's not smart or safe for me to travel to the U.S. right now and play alongside these competitors, whether she's testing positive or not. Um, And so she's obviously taking the right precautions and stepping back and not playing this event. But that's very sad as a fan because she is having, when she is playing, she's the best player. When she is at events, she has been, her record is, she hasn't finished outside the top three. Her record, when she is at events, she's the number one FPO player in the world. Uh, obviously, she lost Champions Cup in a heartbreaking fashion on hole 18. But we would all love to see her at this major as well. Um, but what that does is it, it definitely opens the door a little bit more for Paige Pierce to to add to her list of wins this season, add to her list of wins for her career. I believe this would be her 17th major title. She's able to take it down, but it would be her second major win this year, which would put, if she won this weekend, would put her win count at two majors and three pro tours so far this year, which that's a tough, tough list, regardless of other finishes to look at and be like, yeah, she's not the best player in the world. That's a tough, if she wins this weekend, that's a very tough list to make an argument against, regardless of her other, you know, somewhat subpar performances. That, you know, being only like halfway into the season or so, if Paige already has two major wins and three Pro Tour wins, so she'd already, even if she loses the other two majors, the European Open and Worlds, she already won 50% of the majors this year, which is crazy. If she wins this weekend uh, and three Pro Tour wins, it's getting harder and harder to win a Pro Tour. We'd be silly to think that Paige isn't going to pick up another one or two. So she could realistically, you know, end the season with three major titles and five or six Pro Tour wins. And the like seventh, ninth, tenth, whatever place it finishes, we're not going to be thinking about those at the end of this year. So, Paige Pierce, I think this is a big moment for her season. Uh, obviously, it's a big moment for her career as well. A major win always is. Um, it, at this point, I don't think you can even knock a win without Kristen in the field, just because we we have. It's not like Kristen's been here, been here, been here, been here, and then you know there's only like one tournament. And like Kristen's dominating, and then this one tournament happens, and someone else wins. Then I think it's fair to be like, okay, but Kristen wasn't there. But when Kristen isn't going to be here for an extended period of time, and then you just can't compare it. You just can't be like, well, okay, but let's remember at U.S. Women's, Kristen wasn't there. Can you say it? Yes. Will Trevor say it on Monday? Absolutely. Uh, if Paige wins, but I think at some point you have to just a win's a win. Like at some point you can't knock a player. It's not Paige's fault that Kristen doesn't show up. So. It's definitely, I don't think it's a lot of pressure. I don't think this is a must win for Paige by any means, but whenever you're walking into a major, and to me, Paige and Kat have the most pressure to win walking into a major um, as the two most dominant forces in the FPO field. With that being said, I'm not sure if I'm going to pick her, but we'll get to predictions here in a second. Another storyline here is Valerie and Alexis Mandahano are returning to the site where they won their 2016 Junior World titles at. Valerie won it in uh, Junior 1, and Alexis won it in Junior 2. They beat some notable players in these wins, on the road to these wins that are actually going to beat her this weekend. So Valerie beat out Kona Panis in 2016 at Junior Worlds by 35 strokes at that event, and Alexis beat out Cynthia Ricciotti by 23 strokes at that event. Again, they won their respective divisions, Junior 1, Junior 2. But you have to take this with a very with a 
drastic grain of salt because only the final nine was played at token creek which is of course being played but it was also played at the shorts it seems like which is not i don't believe that's the layout being played this weekend so basically no similarities score wise or anything relevant like that um so really not a super good predictor other than they are showing up to a location that they've won a major at previously that's the biggest thing is they are in a town that's going to be somewhat familiar they've been there before they are at a park that they they have good memories of hoisting a world title at um so there is a little bit to be said about it but when you're looking like scores like 35 strokes over kona 23 strokes over cynthia those actual strokes don't really mean anything uh it's a talking point it's a cool stat but it doesn't really mean anything because that was on different courses obviously also was six years ago um but it is just coming back to a place that you've won at previously it's got to feel good. And I do think that that could provide a little of early momentum to Valerie and Alexis. So definitely something to watch out for there, but let's go ahead and wrap this show up a little bit. We're going to go into some keys to victory and then I'll give you my predictions for the week. We're not going to do points for predictions this week. um, Mainly because Trevor and Connor obviously aren't here. And also I don't want to build my lead too much. You know, I've done a lot of research on this event. And if I text them right now and said, Hey, give me your predictions. I think I would have a slight advantage, um, selfishly. Uh, so anyways, keys to victory. Uh, number one, I think putting is going to be pretty big this week. Putting is one that I, I typically am like, you know, I think that throwing a lot of times is, is more important on the pro stage than putting because a lot of the players are very good putters. But in courses like this, it seems like a course where you're going to have birdie opportunities and you're going to need to capitalize on most of them. And that comes down to putting. So it definitely seems like it's going to allow for quite a few birdie opportunities. And um, I think the player is able to putt well out there. will have a solid shot at this event. And I think the other thing that's going to be important to make putting important is the other key to victory is actually getting to the circle. I think circle one and regulation is going to be a big stat to pay attention to this weekend. Uh, with park style golf, you definitely have to be giving yourself opportunities because it's a type of golf where I don't think it's birdie or die by any means. But when you're at a park style course, it can start to feel that way regardless if the course plays it or not. And if you get on a par streak and sneak a bogey in there um, and someone on your card in that same streak gets two or three birdies, it can really kill your momentum. And momentum, I think, is going to be massive. Uh, So I think getting out there, giving yourself those opportunities, those chances to even connect, to even make your putting matter, it's going to be very important. So I think players who are able to get into circle one in regulation uh, really circle two and regulation two. Both those stats are very similar to each other, but giving themselves the chance uh, is going to be very crucial. So putting only matters if you're in position for that putt to matter. So if you're putting 100% C1X, you put 100% C1X and 100% circle two, and if they're all for bogeys, you still lost. Um, so I think it's crucial, obviously, to get yourself in a position where those putts matter. So with all that being said, what are my predictions for this week? We'll go with the top three. Uh, first off, I do think that Valerie Mandahano is going to take down this tournament this weekend. Again, looking at the courses, it reminds me of Waco. It reminds me not, it's hard to tell, like, it's hard to express why, because, like, if you go hole by hole, it doesn't. But if you just look at the style of course and the style of the parks, again, I just feel like I could pull a hole out of there and throw it onto Waco and replace, like, switch out holes with Waco in some of these courses. And I feel like it would just fit. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm coming from with this could be completely off, but obviously Valerie won Waco. She's been playing solid all year. She's won here before, as we just talked about, I think that she's going to perform very well out here. And I think that Valerie Mandahano is going to take down her first major of the year. 
I do think, though, Paige Pierce is going to be the one that's pushing her. I think Paige is going to be the player that comes in second here. Again, when it comes to a major, it's just hard to count Paige out. No matter what major it is, it's hard to say Paige isn't going to win coming into the week because statistically, that's just your best bet. I mean, this would be her 17th win She at a major. She already has 16 under her belt. This would be her 71st Elite Series or major. Uh, so wild, wild stats there. Hard to count Paige out. So I think Paige is going to come in second. I think she's going to be the one that's pushing Val. And I think it's going to be close. I think these courses play where the it's going to be exciting golf all weekend. In third place, I'm taking Own Scoggins. Uh, I think Katrina Allen could play very well out here. It just depends so much on her putt, similar to Evelina Salonen. Um, and when it comes to putting, I'm just not 100% confident with either of those two players. But I am, when it comes to putting, very confident in Own. And so Own, it's obviously just going to be what are those putts for? Is she able to get herself in opportunities to birdie? And looking at the courses, I really think she's going to be able to, because I think you have a lot of choices off the tee. I don't think it forces your game into a certain uh, mold where you have to throw you know, certain shots. I think there's a lot of different opportunities out there. And so Owen will be able to really play her game. And it also seems like distance isn't a super big factor out there, which is what holds Owen back at a lot of courses. So I think with her putting and the t- style of course we're walking into here, I really think Own has a good shot at a top three, possibly even a win out there as well. So Valerie one, Paige Pierce two, Own Scoggins three. And I did go ahead and make a dark horse pick for this. I didn't use the same you know regulations like we do for our pro tours and stuff. I just kind of went with a player that I think people haven't super heard of. And this goes back to the 2016 Am Worlds, which again, playing different courses, but it's just the vibes of walking back somewhere you've won previously. And that's the AM1 winner from that year, Sayananda. Uh, this is a name that we've heard kind of in and out. Um, not fully sure if she, like, I don't think she's fully on tour. Doesn't seem like she's played a full tour schedule this year. Um, but she's definitely been a player that has popped onto lead cards before in the past. I've heard this name a few different times. I saw that she had won the 2016 AM and Junior Worlds. And I was like, you know what? That is a player that, that could do something at this event. So don't be surprised if Sayananda comes out in this first round and, and puts up something that gets her kind of into contention. Um, you know, again, she's not fully touring, so it could be something where she might be a little rusty. I'm not fully sure what her current game situation is, but I do think it's a player that you can at least watch out for out there. So hopefully you enjoyed this uh, tournament preview. I apologize again that it's just me, but I hopefully did a good enough job covering all the storylines, talking points, and getting you ready for all the coverage that's going to be coming your way, which there is a whole lot of it. Obviously, Disc Golf Network is going to be doing live coverage. If you can watch that live, uh, I really think it's going to be a thrilling event. It starts today, 4 p.m. Eastern time on the Disc Golf Network. But if you can't, Jomez is out there. It seems like Central Coast is out there, GK Pro. Uh, there's a lot of coverage going on this weekend, so be sure just to check out all the post-produced coverage as well if you want to watch it the next day um, or if you want to follow every shot from a specific card. Post-produced is still the absolute best way to do that, and live will get you a lot of coverage from a lot of different cards, so be sure to check those out, and we'll be back on Monday, July 4th, we should have a show, but stay tuned. We might have to move it to Tuesday because we're, we're not going to work on July 4th. It's just a question of will we come in, film Grip Locked, and go home? I don't know the answer to that quite yet. Got to talk to Trevor and Connor. But whether it's Monday or Tuesday, we will have a show recapping the U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championship, and we will have Trevor and Connor back with me. So we'll be back to our normal, normal ebb and flow of things. But yeah, uh, hopefully you're excited for the U.S. Women's. I know we all are, and uh, we'll be watching right alongside you. <laughs>